Hey, Rewatchables fans, you can get every episode we've ever done of the Rewatchables, over 235 episodes, something like that, only available on Spotify. Last 45 days of podcasts, available everywhere. All the new ones, you can get them on any platform, but if you want to hear the complete archive, you got to go to Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. If you love TV, check out the Prestige TV podcast. We covered Winning Time. This week, we covered Better Call Saul. We are covering Barry on Sunday night. Sean Fennessy is going to do that one with Bill Hader, the writer, director, and star of Barry. And then if you like We Crashed, Mallory Rubin and I are going to be there doing the season finale this weekend. I think it's going to go up on Saturday. I'm also going to pop on the Ringer Gambling Show tomorrow because uh, I got to lick my wounds after, after some losses today, which we'll discuss in a second. With Big Waz, Wazden Lambrey is going to come on and we're going to talk about all the basketball tonight as well as some of our favorite storylines heading into the weekend. After that, Danny Heifetz, Craig Horlbeck, two of our Ringer fantasy football guys were also uh, on the Ringer draft show. We're going to talk about Debo Samuel and his value compared to all the other skill position guys in the league. We're going to have a skill position draft. So that's happening. And then Matt Bellany, who hosts the Town Podcast for us, which is excellent. We're going to talk about the death of CNN+. Plus. We're going to talk about Netflix. We're going to talk about the future of streaming and lots of other stuff, lots of smart guy stuff. So this is a good podcast. Once again, another free one for you. All I do is give you free, great content. You don't appreciate it. What can I do? What else can I do other than crank out great podcasts? Let's bring in Pearl Jam! All right, taping this part of the podcast, it is 9.45 Pacific time. I'm here with Big Waz. We just watched three playoff games. You know, this first round, especially this has been, I think, at least a lively first round. But it's funny, after like day five, day six, I'm a little punch drunk, Waz. 
Dude, I, I I was thinking the exact same thing. The the emotional roller coaster of watching teams come back from twenty down, watching guys make some of the most boneheaded fouls uh, and turnovers, and just the Utah game. That 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 that, uh, well, that I, that's the Utah game. I how about ever having? Yeah, <laughs> the, Minnesota blew. Two 20-point leads three hours ago, and since then it feels like it happened five days ago because we had <laughs> exactly. we had Utah basically. Now we're moving into the trade machine part of Utah season. <laughs> they're, they're not too what it feels like their whole run is over. And then Golden State, Denver, Denver's now down three nothing. We're gonna have to deal with Jokic uh, MVP stuff going yeah. forward because Embiid's gonna probably sweep Toronto and so on. We'll deal with that later. Yeah. Let's start. Let's go backwards. Let's start with Memphis, Minnesota because. Yep. That was a poor man's version of Clippers Rockets 2015 game six of not just a <laughs> yeah, collapse, sure. yeah. but they even had the thing at the end that cut to the fans just so sitting in their seats and shocked <laughs> trying to process what happened. Um, I think there was a big Towns moment just in general that we'll get to. But did you feel like better comeback for Memphis or bigger collapse for Minnesota? What If you're going to seesaw it, what was worse or what was better? I think it's got to be Memphis. It's better because a team as young as they are to show that much grit mm. and just not give up. They just kept coming. They did not stop. Um, and to me, that says a lot about the character of the guys on that team and what, what they care about. Like, you know, you contrast that to what we saw in Utah from the Jazz, um, at home, not even on yeah. the road. Uh, to me, you got to give it up to Memphis coming back and staying with this thing because you know it's one like nowadays in the three. Well, and era, and with John not playing well, that was the other thing. It's not like 100%. their stars showed up for the first three quarters. Go ahead. And you said it like going down twenty points in in the first quarter in the three point era. That's this is not the nineties. That's not a yeah. death knell. But to do it twice, <laughs> You're right? That's that's different. That's a different type of moxie. And you know, I think Minnesota obviously played a part in this, but the way Memphis was just so relentless and played as if it was zero zero the entire game, um, that is commendable, and I think speaks highly of the character of those guys. Twenty one nothing run. Chris Finch, no timeouts during the run. I just feel like that. That's. He's not a rookie coach. He's about a year and a half in, but that's one of those. The veteran coaches, they're stopping that. They're sniffing it yeah. out. You see like the really great old school coaches like Rick Carlisle, Spolstra, the guys who've been in a bunch of big games. They're sniffing that. They're thinking like, oh, that 21 point went to 15 timeout. If you're going to come back on me, this is going to happen over the course of an hour. You're not getting momentum. But we saw it was 79-54 with three minutes left in the third quarter and Memphis goes on a 50-13 to 13 run. That's they it. make six threes. Pat Beverly is like heat checking it, trying to save Minnesota yeah. down the stretch. It's like, clear out, guys. I got this. It's like, you're Pat Beverly. What are you doing? Not Towns is MIA. Like, just put the have the law and order episode looking for that dude. And then <laughs> Edwards, who seems like didn't really want to take over, was the only guy I trusted. But he just was, he's too young to realize, like, give me the fucking ball, get out of my way. He didn't do it. Yeah, it's, you know, and that box score has circulated um, throughout the internet of, you know, the Timberwolves having a 39-point quarter, 
followed by a 12-point quarter, followed by a 32-point quarter, followed by another 12-point quarter, right? right? And they basically spent the entirety of the beginning of that fourth quarter not doing, not scoring on offense. And to be honest, some of those looks were fine. It wasn't yeah. just Pat Beverly dribbling into a step-back three. Some of them were just off of movement. They got a shot. They didn't make it. And so I'm kind of fine with that. I thought they played pretty good defense. They came out with an incredible game plan. They, they were just attacking the hell out of John Morant, like treating yep. him as if he was a non-entity completely on defense. And they jumped out on these guys. Like, they looked great. But to me, Memphis is the story because they just kept kept on coming. They kept on attacking. They kept on playing as if they knew they were going to come back on this team. And you know, well, did you see the tweet after the John Morant when he ran the Towns and, thing, and which then that went viral. But that whole team has so much fuck you in them. Yeah, no, no, the no, fuck no. you ability of that team is like an A minus, might even be an A. That's the that's the number one thing that they bring to the table, and it's to a man. Every single guy, Trey Jones, Dylan Brooks, yeah, uh, obviously Desmond Bain, like he's literally flexing at mm. people. Like you don't want any parts of these biceps. And and Ja and Jaron Jackson and on down, like everybody, Brandon Clark. These guys are all pretty hard nosed and tough. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm I'm really surprised at just how much they were willing to be like, we're not giving up this game just because we're on the road. Their crowd is going nuts. Our shots haven't fallen. Um, They just they just stayed with it. The call towns of it all, Bill. And I well, know you want to well, hold on. on. Let's this. get the towns. I have one more thing to add on that. Yeah. Ja stinks for three quarters. Jackson did nothing in that game for the most part. And for yeah. them to win anyway with like a probably a C to a C minus jaw game. I know he ended up with a triple double, but I also don't care about triple doubles. And then Jackson, not that much, but everyone else steps up on the road like that. If I'm Golden State's going to play them, right? That's going to yeah. be our two, three matchup. Cause I, I'm writing off Minnesota. I don't think yeah. they come back from that. But if I'm, if I'm Golden State, I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, this is, this is a dangerous team. Yeah. This is a team Teams that can win when their best guys don't play that well are teams that I'm scared of in the playoffs. And it yeah. goes beyond depth. It's just like, is there a resiliency? Are you can you can you kind of figure out the puzzle? The Celtics, I think, are like that. You know, like game two, Tatum didn't play well offensively. 100%. Jalen didn't play well offensively, but these other guys stepped up and they just allowed them to hang around until their guys got going, which is what happened with Memphis. See, but the thing about Ja that makes him an actual superstar is that even when his shot isn't falling, he's not having the best shooting game. He is puncturing the defense every yes. time he touches the ball. Doesn't change guys. how he plays. Yeah. No, he's collapsing the entire Minnesota defense and spraying it out to shooters. And when he's not doing that, he's throwing lobs. He's getting guys layups. So it's like he played like a superstar. And, and you mentioned that part in the fourth quarter where Anthony Edwards probably should have been the guy, even though he's 20 years old. Yeah. Um, a superstar is a run stopper. He gets to the line two possessions in a row, you know, sort of yep. sucks the win out of the run. He maybe makes a three or makes a shot or a clear out or whatever. Like a superstar stops that from being a 20 to zero run, right? Like he figures out a way to get manufacture a bucket, maybe draw two, get an open jumper for somebody. They just didn't have anybody that could do that to stop that run. And Ja, you know, on the other side was just like, we are going to keep, 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 keep going. And that's what they did. Yeah, Edwards is a year away from that. Ja was a year away last year. Yep. You know, I think next year, same situation. I think Edwards shows up. You know who I'm not confident showing up is Carl Towns. 
I tweeted during the game. The guy has no game awareness whatsoever. He's just, he just, he's he, the most frustrating good player in the NBA. They ran the foul montage. If I was a Minnesota fan, I think I would have turned the TV off. They insane. ran the five fouls that he had this game. I mean, his fouls are terrible every game. This guy has no sense of like, I have four fouls. Maybe this isn't the time I shouldn't be grappling in the low post and throwing my arms and elbows around. He has no sense of, hey, I'm a good three-point shooter. I'm not getting off three-point shooters. I got to figure out what's my plan B. Maybe I'll go down on the on the block and get the ball there. It's so easy to take him out. You know, I looked at his, so he's basically played four games in a row here. The Clippers playing game, these three Memphis games. He was 11 and five. 29 and 13 was his one good one, game one. 15 and 11, eight and five tonight. Six fouls, three fouls, five fouls, five fouls. Four turnovers, three turnovers, five turnovers, four turnovers. So 19 fouls, 16 turnovers in four games, basically averaging like a 16 and eight. And it looks worse than that in person. I just don't know. It's not like he's 22. This is not year four. This is year seven. He's 26 years old. He's a free agent in two years. And if I'm Minnesota, I just feel like this is who he is. Is this what, is this, are you good with this going forward? Because I don't see another level for this guy. I think this is who he is right here. So I I just don't, I remember Stan Van Gundy had said something that he was like, there are no superstars who aren't insanely high basketball IQ people. Like, it, you can't be a superstar. What makes you a superstar is you marry your physical gifts with a ridiculous understanding of the game. And he was talking about Dwight Howard. But he yep. was basically explaining, like, there are no low IQ superstars. Um, Carl Towns is a low IQ player. He just is. Uh, it, you see it from how he plays defense, but it's the other stuff situationally where it's like, why are you pulling guys down on an offensive rebound attempt? Why are you yelling at the refs after you've just mauled somebody? By the way, an offensive rebound attempt against the best transition team in the NBA. Yeah. You should be getting your ass back. This is a strength of this team. Like The last thing you want to do is chase offensive boards against a Memphis team that isn't the sharpest in the half court and wants to get out in transition for these high-efficiency buckets. Like, the the idea that you would get a foul while you've been a very high foul player like on that type of play is crazy and like you said about the refs and then you're showing up the refs like a smart aleck right well and then what you mentioned about your superstar is supposed to stop runs right do you trust him to stop anything I just I was thinking back you know for better and worse the era that I grew up with the bowels of the internet and going on to page two in the early 2000s where we could really have fun with like a performance like Towns tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And I would probably go way overboard or eviscerating him. I'm not, I'm not saying those were better times, <laughs> but now these are much nicer times, right? Everybody's super kids glovey about everything. And man, I'm just telling you, if if he if this was going on in 1994 and 2003 with the way we consume basketball, he would be getting annihilated and he yeah. might be getting annihilated anyway. But I don't know what their path going forward is. I, I wasn't the only one who was thinking tonight during that game watching Utah stumble against Dallas. Like, man, Townsford, go bear. You might as well just have them switch jerseys and see if it goes better for each guy on different yeah. teams. Then Towns could be with Mitchell because I just, this is Edwards' team. 
I don't know if Russell's there long term, but I know this is Edwards' team. And if I'm if I want Edwards to grow the way he's going to grow, you can't put him with, as you said, a a low hoops IQ superstar. And he, Towns isn't a superstar, by the way. He's a star. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's he's just a star. And you know, I was thinking about it because I'm like, all right, if you just preemptively move Towns, what type of things do you try to get in return? Right? Like, do you? <laughs> I was like. Should they trade for Rudy? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think like, we all had the same thing. I'm just like, what kind of things do you try to get in return? Or do you just go all in on like, you know what? We're only going to go so far as Ant Edwards becoming an all-encompassing perimeter player who can not only get me the bucket, but also understands playmaking, understands how to get his guys involved. And he needs to start learning that. And we need to start making him more ball dominant. Or maybe you take the step back. Yeah. Maybe you trade Towns for to like Detroit for their lottery pick and whatever. What's weird is he's, as you said, low hoops IQ player, but seems to be a high IQ guy. Like seems to be one of the smarter, more cerebral right? players. That's, it's that's always weird to me when, yeah. Yeah, when the guy is smart in real life, but on a basketball court, his IQ drops 40 points and no. he does, and he's getting fouls 28 feet from the basket. Yeah, I, I I mean he's obviously not stupid. It's not that. It's just he just no, he's doesn't basketball have basketball stupid. awareness. Like yeah. he makes boneheaded plays. You are allegedly the most important guy on your team, and you are picking up dumb fouls. Like the the idea that you would be picking up fouls that weren't like basically you know guys get beat on the perimeter, you have to give help, and you know what you're out of position because the guy got beat so fast. All right, you have to take a foul. You're giving fouls on plays where you just don't have to. You don't have to foul here. And you're the last line of defense for your team, which means you're going to be constantly in position to be giving fouls. It's just like that. the math on that is so simple, yet he just doesn't do it. I, 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 I'm, I'm frustrated by this guy. Knicks? Towns? Knicks? <laughs> they like those Kentucky guys. Uh, Maybe a little Knicks action. He's, he's the perfect Nick because he's going to put up numbers and uh, he'll be polarizing Nick, and then they'll, they'll quit on him and get super mad. And, and it will just be bad because he will not contribute to winning. Last thing on this Timberwolves thing, you know, obviously the Vikings are there and the Vikings are a pantheon <laughs> top level Mount Rushmore tortured NFL franchise that have had some of the worst losses you could have over the years, never won a Super Bowl, the whole thing. And the DNA is there with the with the Minnesota kind of the collapse type thing. It was weird to watch that unfold in a basketball way because normally like that, the Vikings have had so many bad playoff losses. And I was just thinking like, at least their Minnesota fans are experienced with watching their guts getting ripped out of their stomach. But I going forward, Anthony Edwards, that's it. Just stay positive, Minnesota fans. You have Edwards. Edwards has a chance to be, you know, really, really special. Yeah, and at the same time, I'm not willing to just concede this series like they're just going to fold in five games. I don't know why I'm, you would have watched. I'm conceding. I, I'm not. I don't know why you would watch the first I'm two done. games and think that Memphis is somehow like way better than these guys. It's that, a, this that is a wrap. Born out to me. It's a wrap. Put my put this quote on on your chalkboard, <laughs> Minnesota. You're out. You're not coming back. You blew it. You won game one. You uh, tossed away game two, which was fine because you won the game you needed on the road and you had a chance to close this out. And I, the only scenario, it's going to go seven. The only scenario in a seven is if they just hit like 23s. 
So you're right. Maybe that's what infinitesimal chance, but I think they blew it personally. Hey, when the playoffs start, you might assume a team doesn't stand a chance, but a deep and talented bench finds a way and powers through the playing tournament, grabbing an eight seed in the conference and surprising everyone along the way. You just never know. Like Jalen Brunson. Who knew? <laughs> Here's my list of best players in the playoffs so far. Embiid, Giannis, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Jordan Poole, Jalen Brunson. Those have been the six best players in the playoffs so far. Who could have guessed this? Even when you assume a team won't see much of the postseason, there are always a few surprises along the way. It's like people that assume they can't afford great insurance, but then they discover that State Farm has surprisingly great rates. You know who's great insurance? Jalen Brunson, apparently. You lose Luka Doncic. I voted for him fourth for MVP. Can no you explain problem. this in 20 seconds? How Jalen Brunson turned into the best guard in the league? Uh, Utah Jazz have the worst perimeter defense that I've ever seen in a playoff series. Ever. I've All never right. seen this before. That might be true. But Jalen Brunson. <laughs> wow. We're going to talk about him a little bit in a second. Um, good insurance for Dallas. Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Get a quote today. All right. Dallas, Utah. Is it time? Is it hottest take time? I told you I have a, to I have a scorching hot take, and you said you have one as well. Sure. We used to do a podcast that I think we're going to bring back on Spotify that we're going to pull you in on. Was we called it the hottest take? You had to come on, and you had to have an absolute scorching hot take, and then defend it to defend it to two or three people. Here's here's my hottest take. Bringing it back, dusting it off. Donovan Mitchell. CJ McCollum with better PR. <laughs> that is certainly a hot scorcher. Thank you. To it's a, ooh, I just got, I got a little, my arm here has got singed from it. To, to, to be honest, man, the, the stats, the, 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 the proof, as they say, um, would have to agree with you, man. If you just look at it, you... Sh you if you look at their stats, it is sh shockingly closer than you would expect the last five years. I remember... I remember... Um, I'll never forget this Marbury quote where, you know, he gets traded uh, after the Nash thing um, and there, he says he's the best point guard in the league and Nash and the Suns are going nuts. Yeah. And New York media, because they're New York media, like, Steph, like, all they did was trade you for Nash, and now they're looking like world beaters. Like, what's up with right. that? Or, or I think it was the the, the New Jersey thing. Actually, no, it was New the Jason Jersey. Kidd one. Yeah, it, it was, was Jason, Jason Kidd. Kidd. That's what I it was. thought. You said you were the best point guard in the league. Blah 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 blah. And what Steph said, I'll never forget. Is he was like, you know, I'm the best point guard in the league. If you rip the names off of our jersey. And people just watch us play. Nobody will come away from that game saying Jason Kidd is a better point guard than me, which is like a very like. Obviously, that that argument works in your favor because it takes away the team concept and whose team right. actually gets to win. <laughs> so his teammates and winning don't matter. Yeah. Yes, but like that's the same thing with Donovan Mitchell and CJ McCollum. If you like strip everything away, they're the same guys. They're one-sided players. So you agree with my hottest take? One hundred. I, I actually would say CJ in playoff games is probably a little more trustworthy, but like Mitchell over and over again in these last five minutes of these games reverts to these 28 footers. And I'm not sure he's the most fun guy to play with sometimes. 
I'm not giving up on him. I'm just saying, like, he's been around now. This is year six for him. Well, okay, but the CJ thing, the the reason why the CJ thing is different, we have sympathy for him, is because physically he cannot hold up against the best and biggest guards in the NBA. Like, you can't expect him to just from his physical stature. Well, can can Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell is huge. He couldn't guard. He couldn't guard Spencer Dinwiddie today. That's the that's the rub, Bill. Like as as physically gifted as Donovan Mitchell is, he comes into the NBA with a defensive profile. That's what he's known for. It's like, yo, this guy. If he's gonna be one thing, he's gonna be a menace on the ball in the NBA. Not anymore. Those days are over. Oh my god. I mean, you. Sharks and I talked about it on Tuesday when when Brunson was hot on Tuesday or the game before Tuesday, and I was asking Sharks, like, where's Mitchell just being like, let me take this guy? Like, the same way Jason Tatum's like, let me take Durant. Yeah. And, you know, if if Mitchell wants to swim in the pool with the best players, you've got to do it on both ends, and he can't. And the Gobert thing's tough, because on the one hand, he's just a weird player. We don't have another player like him. You can't blame him for the defense when nobody in the perimeter can guard anybody. But on the other hand, over and over again, teams are attacking them the exact same way. And teams are going at him. And teams are pulling him away from the hoop or going in. And you saw Dinwiddie dunking on him tonight. And it's just everything is wrong with this team. And you know they're going to blow it up. That's where this is heading. Look, here's the thing about Rudy, right? They designed their defense to be just funnel everything to Rudy and let him take care of the rest. Just And in the regular season, when you're playing the Knicks and you're playing the Orlando Magic and you're playing, you know, Oklahoma City, who's tanking, and you're playing Sacramento, and you get the gist, like, it's fine. It's okay. You, you can do this against the Rockets in the regular season. Perfectly yep. fine defensive strategy. You'll get stops. It'll be okay. This doesn't work in the playoffs where teams are going to be like, you're not used to guarding people for real. You're used yeah. to giving a fake defensive stance, just literally just walking them to the basket and just being like, do whatever you want against Rudy. Well, teams are like, oh, guess what we're going to do to Rudy? We're going to draw him outside. He's not going to be the safety valve. And your defense, where you walk guys to the basket, your big man's not going to be there to contest. And that's what they've been doing for three, four years now, Bill. That's yeah. the defensive strategy. Funnel everything to Rudy and let him do it. And in the playoffs, teams are like, yeah, 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 but funnel us to the basket. While yeah. Rudy has to guard at the perimeter. And if he doesn't, we spray it out for open court, wide open threes, practice level threes. And then you see, even when they take Rudy out, and it's like, all right, we're going to do a switch defense. They don't need, they can't even do a basic just switch handoff. Just like, all right, we're going to switch. This is shit that we do at pickup games, Bill, where you have the people you've never met before. You say, yo, we're going to switch, we're going to switch every single screen and get yeah. executed. The Jazz can do that tonight. It's pretty bad. Well, Utah, 2017 to 2022, swept in round two by Golden State, lost in round two to Houston. Lost in round one to Houston. Lost in round one to Denver. Lost in round two to the Clippers. And headed, it seems like, for a loss this year against the Mavs. What's crazy, no Kawhi last year. They lose. They might lose to the Mavericks. Without Luka Doncic. Without Luka Doncic. Even crazier, Luka might get to round two for the first time. He's not even fucking playing. (laughs) (laughs) He's wearing street clothes. Even crazier, the Ewing Theory Committee now has to go to Utah for game four <laughs> to study this in person. 
Who expected that? Oh, I, we got to get, we have to find hotel rooms for the Ewing Theater Committee. I got to get flights. They no. have to check this out for themselves. Bill, we love Jalen Brunson. He's been a revelation. I've always had a soft spot for Spencer Dinwiddie. I've always thought he was a pretty underrated guy. There were points in this game where they were literally just like, let's run actions to make sure Donovan Mitchell is guarding the ball. And they just dribbled for an hour. right past him every yeah. single time. And, you know, and some of the, I, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, people in basketball today start getting spicy. And they're like, hold on. Utah finally makes a run with Gobert on the bench, mm. right? Stat news is, is, is you know, circulating that stat with the yeah. plus minus, and they made a run. Guess what? Davis Bertans was playing center for the Dallas Mavericks to correspond with those minutes. And yes, the Bertans assance. It's happening. Yeah, Davis Bertans was playing center. Utah finally could score. Moxie Kleber came in, and you would have thought he was Draymond Green, the way yeah. everything got mucked up afterwards. But it presents this, this, this scenario, Bill, where... Utah has to basically bench Rudy. They like if if they have to give up on the notion of guarding this team, which is absurd. Yeah, they have to go small ball against small ball. They basically and then, have to be like we, which have to will pray. lead to lots of long, sad shots of Rudy on the bench as this is happening. <laughs> it's nobody's going to be here. Plus, they have Danny Ainge there. He's going to blow everything up. All right, Bill, it's hold time. On. Before you go on, Bill, hold on. Yeah, they have to decide they can't guard Dallas Mavericks without Luka Doncic. Like, do you understand that? <laughs> if, if I had told you a month ago, Utah is officially going to be blown up because Brunson and Didwini were too much. Probably would have had trouble with that just Oh, that. my God. Oh, do you have a hottest take or do you want me to do my Sparadidi's impersonations? I mean, I don't think I could beat that because my hot take was basically uh, that Utah should preempt the Donovan Mitchell trade requests and just move them. Just buy. Get out of town. Like, your your leadership style is obviously piss poor. Yeah. You're not Dwayne Wade. You, we have Dwayne Wade. You're not, you're not Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Wade. And another guy he looks up to is Kobe. And guess yeah. what, Bill? Like, people got to understand this about this Mamba mentality, Kobe system shit that a lot of these players throw out there. When Kobe was 25, he was locking fools up. He was right. all defense, defensive team. He was the best perimeter defender in the NBA when he was 25 years old. So yeah. all these dudes that want to be Kobe and want to get the accolades and want to get the love, play some fucking defense, my, bro. My guy Tatum. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's how you win the respect and that's how you get into that final circle. Yep. Play some defense. I would not trade Mitchell this year. I would blow everything up. I, I would wait a year on that. Especially because I don't think his value is maybe where it was six months ago because of what's happened in this series. But Quinn Snyder is going to be gone. Gobert yeah. will be traded and somebody's going to bite on that. And maybe Towns will be the answer. Maybe there's some sort of Gobert Town something. Maybe Gobert goes to Charlotte. I don't know. All right, here's my impression of Spirididis. Didis? Spirididis, the play-by-play guy tonight. Here's him. <laughs> here's him at Ben and Jerry's ordering ice cream. I'd like chocolate chip in a waffle cone. <laughs> Here's him at the Chick-fil-A line. You don't have to courtesy left. I will have the spicy chicken and the waffle fries. He goes either he's straight or he's ramped up. There's no, oh he's got God. first gear and fifth gear. It's I just, funny. I think that's another reason I'm punch drunk. 
Because when Spiro does the games, it's like every basket's the most important basket you've ever seen in your life. Dude, it's a time. I, I, I was and it's a foreplay fear, Spiro. I was feeling nauseous as if I like root for the jazz. Like I was, <laughs> I was feeling sick. Like I don't have a rooting interest. I don't really care what happens to this team. I, I, I thought Utah would do well this year. So I'm like, damn, this sucks for them. But like watching them just implode this way against a team like, it's Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson, y'all. Like, this mm. isn't Steph Curry and Dame Lillard. Just like, there's no, you know, like, if you don't step up, they're going to three-point you to death in your eye. And if you do, they're going to dribble right past you. These are, like, really good NBA guards, starting-level NBA guards. They shouldn't just be eviscerating you like this. I'll have a Vente Vanilla Latte. And the Red Pepper Egg Bites! <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing it until you break down. Uh, I have a question for you. Gordon, Morris, Jeff Green, Jamichael Green, Austin Rivers, and Will Barton. Or Wiggins, Porter, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Kaminga, Gary Payton, and B. Litsa. If you're Jokic, which six would you rather play for? The six you have now? Or the five through ten guys on the Warriors. <laughs> the five through ten on the <laughs> I Warriors. I think it's an argument, right? Without question. Without question. And, so and I don't even want to have the Jokic MVP conversation. I mean, because that's stupid. His team, all due respect to those dudes, but that team is bad. That is the worst two through twelve team in the playoffs, hands down. And I can't believe they got a six seed. I honestly can't. Bill. That team should have been like a nine seed. They shouldn't have made the playoffs or the play-in. Um, all you need to know is, ask anybody who understands anything, Draymond Green is the best postseason defender that we have. Nobody is more dominant on that end than Draymond Green. And Jokic gave him hell tonight. He hit a couple of freaking spot-up threes, and then basically Draymond couldn't keep him in front of him. He had to he had to guard up on him on the closeout, and he took him to the rack, got fouled a bunch of times. Like he was like basically pick your poison. I'll post you, I'll shoot you, I'll dribble drive you, I'll hit the open man on the double and triple team. He gave you the entire Jokic experience around a bunch of barely NBA rotational guys. Like, come on. I don't know how you watch that game and you question whether Nikola Jokic is an obscene level MVP candidate. Well, well, let's flip let's flip Philly and Denver. If Denver is in the Toronto series, do they win? Without Barnes. I'm losing Barnes. I don't see in the why they third quarter. See, Are they beating they Toronto couldn't. without Barnes? I don't see why they couldn't. Uh, like, and if I, Philly's playing Golden State, what's the result? That's a series. That's yeah, a series. A series. That's I think series. the the Barnes injury, the underrated thing so far, Barnes getting hurt. Everyone just kind of stepped over. Apparently, people that weren't watching League Pass this year. I thought he was their third most valuable player, but I thought their top three were pretty. They kind of needed all three. Van and Bleet especially and on Siakam. offense. Especially yeah. on offense. He was like their Intensity. Um, mismatch hunter. Like when they put tried to put little smaller guys on him, he was the guy they would go to. They'd like be like, all right, spread it out. Let him go one-on-one and attack a mismatch. Like... People think that he's like this incredible defensive player, which he's pretty good, but he's still really young, so he makes a lot of mistakes. Um, but really, his value was added on offense for Toronto this year, and um, he was doing a lot, man. Just well, like, and the athleticism too. Yeah, you put him with yeah. Ananobi, NCI, and all of a sudden yeah. your team athletically is a little different. I think they at least would have won one of those first three. I thought that was underrated. 
Nick Nurse. They, by the way, terrible, terrible last couple of weeks for the quote unquote genius coaches. Nick Nurse. <laughs> Nick Nurse. Defend the fucking inbounds pass. We've been doing, we've been playing basketball since the beginning of time. Put a guy in front of the inbounds passer. Make it hard for him. They got 0.9 seconds left. Put a guy in front of him, position between the basket and the ball. And he's not just going to be able to throw and beat the perfect pass for a turnaround yeah. three. What are you doing? Where's, why is Fred Van Vliet involved in that play under the basket? What's he going to do? Block and bead? That's always, the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Always, always, always guard the inbounder. With a um, big, tall guy with long limbs. Yeah. Who's spreading them out, game. jumping up and down, making it I hard for them. I can understand if you're... Um, if you're doing a full court press at certain points, not guarding the ball and maybe not putting, with, not with point nine left, you're not exactly. It may be putting fucking two guys stupid. on the team's best ball handler on the inbound, but like the last shot of the game, there's no seconds left. You want to make that pass as difficult as possible. That's really that's, dumb. That was oof. underrated. And then, uh, Kyrie was terrible in game two and everybody was just like, it was Durant's fault. It's like Durant had 20 free throws. Durant's yeah, going against this team that is starting to look like one of the best defensive teams of this century. Yeah. Like, honestly. Yeah. they This team is starting to move up the ladder and at least is like on that 2011 Mavs level of they can, if you're going to play iso ball, good luck in the fourth quarter. Like, they, they don't even rob Williams now. Kyrie was 10 points, two free throws, um, one assist. Did, looked like he didn't want to be there in the fourth quarter. My dad called me when he got home because he went to the game and he was like, weird Kyrie game. And he was like, reminded me of the Kyrie that we had for that Milwaukee series <laughs> before he left. Kind of didn't seem like he wanted to be there. And that was how I felt watching it. And then the next day, it's like, it's Durant's fault. It's like <laughs> four for 17. And it was like, all right. Well, he had 17 defenders being thrown at him. Yeah. He went to the free throw line 20 times. He's getting the utter shit kicked out of him in these games. Yeah. I th it's his fault? <laughs> no. What, I mean, were they look, running plays? Did they run pick and roll with him and Kyrie? What What is the offense that they're running? I've We've seen KD play much better, and he seems sure. to be out of sorts. And so I understand that instinct. But Kyrie was bad. And, and, you know, to be fair, some of those shots were the exact same shots that he made against Boston the night, the game before, you know, it just happened that this time it didn't go in, but you know, he was bad. He was bad. And I thought his shot selection was poor, not enough getting to the, to the rim. You know, uh, people said I kind of overstated the shot selection. I'm just like, bro, like Daryl Morey's been, been, you know, basically been called a God for his, his discovery that you should probably try to shoot as many threes and yep. get to the cup and less contested 19 footers as possible. You know, you bring up Tatum, like a good thing about him is him cutting out those step back 19 footers and making them threes. If you're going to yep. do that, take that kind of shot, at least make it be a three-pointer and make it actually count. So, yeah, I think they got some stuff to clean up. Kyrie was bad, 100%. I don't, I don't see how anybody could say any differently, especially when you consider the concept of the team is that they win when KD and Kyrie are great. I didn't, like, if I'm a Nets fan, listen to some of the quotes after the game on Kyrie's, like, their windows now. It's stuff you say, like, when the series is over. <laughs> I thought I just thought it was weird. I, I don't know what's people, gonna happen in Brooklyn. A couple of people were disturbed by that one. <laughs> yeah, it was just weird. It was kind of defeatist. They play Saturday night. It's a Brooklyn home game. I think there's gonna be a lot of Boston fans there. Mm -hmm. I think this Celtics team, 
honestly is starting to look like a Belichick Pats team. We'll see how it goes on Saturday. But the fact that they could have been that bad offensively for three quarters and have their two best guys look like their arms were caked in butter and they literally couldn't hold on to the ball and to hang around and hang around and then make a run and then they, they can get stops, like really good signs. And then you look at, you know, Middleton gets hurt. He's out at least the mm-hmm. next two games. Sprained MCL, I don't feel like is an injury you come back from in a week. They that said they're going like to reevaluate in two weeks. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. So you have the Bucks. Oh, hold on. The NBA karma gods are here. Hi, guys. Um, oh, you don't <laughs> like it when teams toss away games to be, get a lower seed because they're playoff tracking? <laughs> You've hated that perennially and there's always been karma consequences? Oh, oh, wait, it happened again with Chris Middleton. <laughs> The Bucks, who all they had to do is like, you know what I value is home court and the highest seed possible. And they were like, no, no, we're going to get cute. We're going to play Chicago. Well, Caruso's back. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have Middleton. And now, I hate to say it, but Chicago has three of the best four guys in the series. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Oh, no, that three of the best five. Holidays are there. My bad. Yeah, holidays they have three of the there. best five. Holidays in there, but he you has You could to argue Caruso up. might be the sixth. Dude, there were moments during that game, that last game, where Caruso was literally dominating on defense. Caruso was out holidaying holiday. It was insane. He he blocked Giannis at the cup, and I think they call a foul, which was a phantom yeah. foul. He drew a, a key charge at the end on Giannis. He's getting deflections every like it was ridiculous. He was everywhere. This well, dude. our guy Jason Goff. He's been saying, like, Caruso's the lifeblood of the team. And when he's been out there, the Bulls are good. Energy. And when he's not out there, the Bulls aren't as good. Man, so, I wish they had Lonzo, too, right now, man. This, uh, this so, there's just so much fun to watch because, obviously, DeRozan is making these impossible 16-footers. Yeah. Uh, and Zach Levine can, you know, get hot from three and get going downhill and what Caruso's doing on defense. And, yo, I got to give it up to Vucevic, man. Um, I know. He's kind of— He's, he's holding kind of, up. He's rich man Lopezing Lopez. Right. He's like, right. watch this. Here's how you actually do this if you want to get to 24 and 10. I, listen, as a Celtics fan, longer that series goes, the it's better bad. for us. <laughs> I, you know, we got to take care of business with Brooklyn. But if there's a world where uh, that can go seven, it can get a little hairy. We'll put on some playoff miles on Giannis. And who knows? The thing with DeRozan, even if it's a game seven in Milwaukee and there's no Middleton. So now I don't have my crunch time score. Now it's there's so much pressure on Giannis now. And then DeRozan can have one of those quarter stretches when he's just in the zone. They could steal a game in Milwaukee. They could steal a game seven. But the the problem is the flip side with that is we just saw it in the Brooklyn game. You you can have the Kyrie and KD game just as easily. You know, and, and when that's the case, you really can't expect Chicago to be able to muster much other on offense outside of what Levine well, was doing on ball. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, Levine's a max guy. I would expect him to have at least one good game here. Yep. Um, I thought the Bucks would win in four or five. I thought the Bulls had yeah, quit on the season. And that is one of the many things that has changed. What a playoffs. Yeah, um, this is... Anything else we care about before we go? That's it, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think... Um... Shouts to Philly for taking oh, care Phoenix, of Phoenix, 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 and oh, uh, New Orleans. Yeah. We'll find out more about that. But the no Booker thing and the fact that 
I think Phoenix wins the series, but I thought it was interesting on FanDuel, that line dropped to like Suns minus 300, something like that. Mm. Which for a team that went 64 and 18 or 65 and 17, whatever it was, against a team that won 36 games and the series is tied 1-1 <laughs> and they're only minus 300, you know something bad happened and something bad happened. Great, they grade Booker. one. They said it's a grade one, um, grade one hamstring for Booker. Not great. D- that's another two to three weeks. Yeah. For him. Not good. And, you know, look, I don't know what this is. I'm somebody not just, I don't say this selfishly, Bill, as somebody whose job it is to cover the league. Yeah. Um, I would like less work, less regular season games. Um, the wear and tear on these guys, man, is just starting to show itself. And the condensed, like in the past two and a half years, the amount of time that they've crammed this much games in, um, I'm not going to pretend to know that it's causal, but man, yo, like I, I really wish we could cut down on the regular season and just get to this, get to what we're doing right now. Cause these games are so compelling. The basketball is at such a high level. Mm. Um, it sucks to watch so, so many key guys just go down, man. 72 games. I'll go for 72 games. All right. I would honestly, Bill, give me just a round robin. Everybody plays each other twice and keep it pushing. I would love to see that. Big Waz. Thanks for coming on the podcast. (laughs) It was great to see you. Don't just watch all the NBA playoffs action. Be a part of it with FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, all new customers get a risk-free first bet up to $1,000. Just place any bet on the NBA playoffs, and if you don't win, you'll get up to 1000 bucks back in site credit. You know why we love FanDuel. Easy to use app, safe, you get your winnings fast. Tons of betting options. I love that the futures, they're just always up. Devin Booker gets hurt during a Suns playoff game. Guess what they don't do? Pull the finals odds down. No, they just change them a little bit. Reflect what happened, but you can still go and bet on the Warriors if you want. That's why FanDuel is the best. For basketball this weekend, I'm thinking, man, if if you think the Celtics are going to win game three, that means they're going to sweep. So just bet the Celtics in four if you're going to bet them. I would say bet on the uh, Sixers to close out the Raptors. Usually when a team's up three, nothing like that, especially after a devastating game three. Just want to ride them. The Mavs to win the Utah series. Like that one as well. Download FanDuel America's number one sports book today using promo code BS. Place your risk-free first bet for a chance to take home a W on basketball's biggest stage. Remember to use promo code BS for this amazing offer. You must be 21 plus president in select states only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800-GAMBLER.net.
This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, Danny Heifetz is here and Craig Horlbeck is here from the Ringer Fantasy Show, which is called the Ringer Draft Show. It's got it's it's got like two identities. It's like yeah, a Yeah, Moonlight is a draft show, yeah. Yeah, Moonlight's is a draft show. We're gonna play a game. We're gonna try to do this in 20 minutes or less. I'll see if we can pull it off. We're gonna do a game. All the running backs, receivers, and tight ends, what we think their value is as assets. So this is like a cousin of a trade value game. The reason we're doing this is because Debo Samuel is available. And producer Steve Cerruti was like, where does he rank? How important is it that Debo Samuel is available? So let's start with Debo and then we'll play the game. Hi, Fitz. How important is Debo Samuel to you? Is he worth two first round picks? The price the price for Tyreek, the price for Devontae Adams, it's like floating between like a first and a second. Um, other guys like Jamal Adams was worth two first rounders. Is he worth two first rounders to you? I think the tricky thing is that it's so hard to divorce him from Shanahan and the 49ers in my mind. I feel like to the, the 49ers, yes, kind of, because we just watched the playoffs and Debo was, um, he made me feel like I was watching the past of football and the future at the same moment. Like, I, I feel like it's like Jim Thorpe or something, someone playing every position at once. But also, right. it, it really, I think Debo, it reminded me actually of like Joel Embiid, the seven footer who's knocking down three pointers at the end of the game. It's like, how do you guard him? Who do you put on him? Doesn't matter what you do, you're wrong. That's what Debo is, where you treat him like a running back. Well, they'll shift him out to receiver. You treat him like a receiver, you shift him in. He changes everything for defense. I just don't know if he's going to stay on the field. That's my concern. That's mine as well. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, I think there's some Shanahan cockiness to this where he's like, I can do this with anybody. So I don't need to pay you $25 million a year, Debo. I can draft Traylon Burks and do it again. He had 10 receiving touchdowns in his entire career and 11 rushing touchdowns is an entire career. So 21 total. He he uh, he missed some games in 2020. Last year he was healthy, but took a lot of hits. You know, when you think about uh, when you watch certain athletes, I remember Earl Campbell was like this. I know you guys remember Earl Campbell. He was only uh, oh yeah, were minus 20 when he was born. But he just he took so much punishment. I feel this way about Kelsey. You know, like as we're going to do this asset draft, I think like Kelsey's just taking a lot of punishment. What's he going to look like in three years? Probably not a hundred catch guy. And with Debo. Um, the way they were using him and some of the games they were in and these playoff runs that he had. Um, I don't know. I don't know. How well, I think that's a lot of what this is about is he's, I mean, he's, I mean, he pays attention to the stuff. The running backs don't get paid. The receivers do. And he's like, well, you're going to use me like a running back. He's in his mind thinking, well, you should pay me like both. But if you're going to put the mileage on him like a running back, he's got to get paid now. I think that's kind of what the, the issue is for him. Craig, what's the most fun team for him to go to? Packers. Interesting. I would have said the Pats. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. While I was making my list, we're ranking like all the skill players you'd want. I was wondering yeah. how many skill players that have to go through to get that, to that New that England. just settle down. <laughs> don't don't come on here with your Pats slander. Nobody wants to hear it. We know the Giants beat them twice. Um, Debo and the Pats, though. No, you think Belichick? Well, I, you think Bel? But here's the thing. Debo's not going to get traded somewhere probably unless he agrees to a big contract extension with the team. Like 
Devontae yeah. got traded, Tyreek got traded. Those teams had already worked out a big contract. So my question for you is, do you really think, even if the Patriots gave up a first and a second for him, let's say they would, do you think Belichick's also going to agree to give Deba like $20 million a year? Well, the best thing about trading the picks for him would be that we wouldn't then have to make the picks. Right. I don't know if you've looked at the batting <laughs> average on the picks. I My thing is, who are the Patriots going to spend money on? You know, I watched the Rams. The, like the Rams are being mentioned as like a possible day. It's like, well, how do they have money? Well, they always <laughs> find money. They're always like they're going under the mattresses and in the seat cushions. And the Patriots are the opposite. They spent money on Judon. They have a, a QB on a rookie salary, which is like, you know, the holy grail of uh, of of being in this, you know, football asset business. So the Jets, I think, would be another one for him. What are you going to say, Craig? Uh, well, if you look at like where it's so Tyreek and Devonta Adams are interesting because they're both elite wide receivers who were on good teams and the good teams were not interested in paying them and let them leave. And they went to mediocre teams. And yeah. that might be like where things are going. So uh, Ben Solak said on the draft show the other day, he thinks Debo's going to go to a team like the Texans. And I agree. I think he's going to go to the Jets. And I think he's going to be okay on that team. But that's kind of where things are going now where these good teams can be like, I don't need to pay Devonta Adams $30 million a year. I'll draft Olave or Gilbert Wilson or... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Garrett, Garrett Wilson. Wilson. Garrett Wilson, and do the same thing. <laughs> I know. I think you're Gilbert. Right. <laughs> or I Gilbert Wilson. You Garrett Gilbert. <laughs> no, but I think the rookie receivers contracts are like the new rookie quarterback contracts. Where yeah, because here's the thing: like we just heard ten years of like, yeah, I have a rookie quarterback, but the the whole point is to get a discount. But the five most expensive positions in football: are quarterback, receiver, left tackle, defensive end, cornerback. Wide receiver is the only one of those five that you can actually find outside the first or like they're the easiest to find. And so yeah. I think that you're going to have to pay a premium at left tackle, cornerback, quarterback, defensive end more often. And it, the receiver is going to be the position, position that's the easiest to flip out. So I think a lot of these teams are look like the Niners. Do you pay Debo? Do you pay Nick Bosa? You know, the Chargers, do you pay Joey Bosa? They're giving Mike Williams money. I, I kind of wonder if that's going to be a good decision. But I think a lot of teams are making this decision. And that's why you see these pairings. Two is on a rookie deal. They got Tyreek a lot of money. You know, the Chiefs have Mahomes and, and Packers have Rodgers and big money. They're getting rid of Devonta, getting rid of Tyreek. So I think that's kind of where this is all going. Yeah, nobody will have both. Yes. You could you either... Can, not for long. You could have the quarterback, but then you got to get super creative. Or you could have the receiver a rookie and then maybe take one more swing with like a mid-level dude. But this is why we're doing this asset draft. Craig, you have first pick. Danny, you have second pick. I'll go third. The The caveats are guys you would want for the next four years, talent, durability, and most important, contract. Yeah. So if if you would say this is not a ranking of, wider, of the uh, all the skill guys, the non-QB skill guys, because if you're taking Tyreek, you're taking Tyreek with the thirty million a year, like that's that's part of the package. But we're not taking Tyreek on the Dolphins. We're taking just Tyreek with his contract, right? We're not Tyreek with his contract. Yeah, we're not th we're not talking teams as much as just the talent. So, Craig, right. you go first. Who do you have? There is one true first overall pick here, and it's Jamar Chase. I had him as well. Do you have him, Heifetz? Yeah, I had my top two, and I'm gonna. I'll I'll just tell you the top two right now. Chase, and then I'm taking Justin Jefferson. And yep. that's why I'm surprised you gave yourself the third pick, Bill, because I think Chase and Jefferson are so clearly the top two in this exercise. Well, the fun thing is, I yeah, I didn't tell you guys this, but it's going to be a snake draft. So I have the third and fourth picks. <laughs> because well, I'm going second. It's the same other way. <laughs> um, I had the same thing. I had Chase one. I had Jefferson two. You could argue if this was a talent draft, they would still be in the top five. But when you throw in the rookie thing part... If we were saying no salaries at all, is Chase still the first pick? 
What do you he's think? Top Greg? five for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he's twenty one years old, and he was a top five receiver last year. <laughs> like, I think I he might have been. It's unbelievable the Bengals pulled this off, where they get Burrow, who that worked out about as well as it's going to work out, and then the Chase thing, which I listen last year at the draft, I was like, why don't they take a tackle? Burrow's getting killed, and they took Chase, and it worked out. All also, right. Kimberly, I, these two guys, it's not gloss over that they went to college together and won a championship together. I can't, we just took the fir- them first overall if we want the NFL. It's just unbelievable they played together. I, there's so many young athletes I like now. I, I don't know whether I'm just getting older and my standards are dropping or whether we're in a good run, but like, I love Anthony Edwards. I love a lot of these newer NBA guys. I like some of these NFL guys. The Bengals, they're just heartwarming. Uh, I like this next guy that I'm about to take. Little pricier. Our first, like, a little bit oh, pricey guy. I know who you're doing. Cooper Cup, the best yep. wide receiver in the league. <laughs> yeah, who, that was, yeah. I had him Cup, at number three as well. Triple crowned it. We left the Super Bowl. We were like, that guy's the best receiver in the league. A month passes and Devontae Adams gets traded. And I was like, wow, Vegas just traded for the best receiver in the league. It's like, did Cooper Cup get in a car accident? What What did, what did I miss? What, what happened to Cooper Cup? Um, still pretty young. His contract, he's like about $15 million a year, which is delightful. And uh, I'm getting good value there. So I'm taking him. This next guy probably isn't on your board. I'm looking at age. I mean, I, going this high. Age, position, how they're going to use him next four years. I'm taking Kyle Pitts. Bill, we have the exact same top four. Okay, good. I, yeah. I didn't know if you'd have him this high. But I think he's like, is he 21 yet? Can he legally he's, drink? What's he's his deal? 21. He is 21. Yeah, 21. Yeah. He turned 21 during the season. Like <laughs> right, in the middle right. of the season. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So Chase Jefferson, I took up. I have pits. There's so we're all pretty aligned on those four. Yeah. This is where it's going to get interesting. Number five, high fits. You're up. So I think this is. I agree. This is where it gets tricky. I'm, I'm going to take Tyreek Hill because I think that mm. this is the point where I still want elite players. Like I still want an elite guy, and Tyreek Hill is the fastest player in the NFL by so much that I think that it changes. I'm a little nervous to take a guy that's 20, 29, I think, going into his 30s for the next four years, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he's so much faster than everyone. It, it's hard to describe what it does to a defense, but it's kind of like when Steph Curry, Craig, you love Steph Curry, when he crosses half court, the second he's crossed half court, he can shoot. And you yeah. actually have to think about him. It's, it's gravity, right? Like he's pulling people toward him. Tyreek Hill pulls all these defenders toward him in a way that changes the actual shape of what a defense is. And as long as he can run, he he makes everyone else so much better and more productive that even if like on the Dolphins this year, he's not getting the same numbers, he's helping everyone else. So I, I that's to me is worth the money. I'm down with that too. I thought that was the right pick. The thing with Tyreek, they had to trade him because you can't pay two guys basically $80 million a year. You just can't. And no, they tried to figure out, all right, we'll patch this together. We'll draft another receiver with the pick we're getting. We'll use this money. We'll put it elsewhere. We'll improve our offense line, whatever. It wasn't really a reflection on Tyreek Hill as much. It's just you can't pay Mahomes and Tyreek at the same time. You okay with that pick, Craig? Yeah. I think we're in a new tier now where it's guys with elite talent, but who have proven it and are worth the money. Exactly. Yeah, which so I know who you're taking next. I'm taking Devontae Adams. Yeah. I don't care how much money he costs. He's 29 years old. He's the best wide receiver in the league. These guys, He's also super healthy. My criteria for this is like, have you had a breakout season or a million, which Devontae Adams has had? Have you shown me you can stay healthy, which Devontae Adams has had? And if it's time to pay you max like money, have you shown me that number one and number two that I just listed? And that's what Devontae Adams is. I mean, he's always healthy. He's the number one receiver in the league and it's worth the money. Couldn't agree more, which brings us to number seven, 
Now it's getting Does it, Now we're in Debo range. Like Debo is starting to lurk around here. Who do you have for number seven? Oh, right. I get back to back. I'm going yeah, Stefan stink. Diggs. Stefan Diggs. Wow. Who okay. I think is the most underrated receiver in the game and is 28 years old on a solid four-year, $96 million contract. Same reasons I like Devontae's healthy. There's no... With, there was like slight trade rumors with him. That's not true. Was that so just he was like, just like, tweeting I read that emojis on the internet. and stuff. No, it's once Devante and Tyreek got those huge deals, he was tweeting emojis. They restructured his contract a little bit. But the Bills are in the same weird spot now because it was easy to fit him when Josh Allen's on the rookie deal. Now Josh Allen's going to get paid and they're paying digs. So you kind of have to make, it's really those five positions and they kind of have to, they're going to have to shift some things around. But It seems realistic this is his last Buffalo year, which would delight me to know in because they're in our division. Uh, all right, who do you have for number eight, Heifetz? So I think this is where, I think this is tough. I'm probably going to zag. But if we're factoring in the contract and we're factoring in, again, guys' situations, I actually think I'm going to take CeeDee Lamb. Mm, I, had I, that I had him right there. CeeDee Lamb is making $3 million a year for the next two years. And when you compare that to, I don't know how you guys went through this, but Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, like A.J. Brown, D.K. Yeah. Metcalf, all those guys want new contracts now. Yeah. But C.D. is going to want one next year. That's right. Fair. C.D., you got one more at this price. You have then one he's more gonna, C.D. Then he's going to get antsy. I, I mean, they cut Amari Cooper because they think C.D. can do the number one. I mean, Bill, you know, he destroyed the Patriots last year. He had like a 35-yard touchdown to end the game. They gave I don't him remember the number that. 88, which is a big don't deal man, in Dallas. Don't remember that game. I it's blocked. I believe me. I'm a Giants fan. I wish CD could just not. I remember them not throwing it to him for an entire playoff game, which was which was bizarre. <laughs> Seemed like I like would have thrown most, to our best receiver. He feels like one of the most misused guys at that totally. level of these like elite. Like he should be in the AJ Brown like Debo Samuel state of mind, but people don't think of him that way. But I think he's just as good. The Cowboys bringing back Mike McCarthy after that playoff game. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of think their season's already ruined because when everything goes wrong, I mean, like not using CD and stuff. I just. McCarthy's I'm with you on CD. All right. I have number nine. I'm taking Debo. I think mm -hmm. this is the right spot for him. Now, I don't know what his new contract is going to be. I, it, I, my guess it'll be closer to the Diggs money than to the Tyreek money, right? Like low 20s a year, something like that. Probably a little bigger guarantee. He is says there, they all want fake numbers. So Tyreek's in numbers like 30. It's really 23, 24. So if Debo yeah. says he wants 25, call it 19. Okay. You agree with that, Craig? Yeah, probably. It's just going to be how much he wants to play running back. Honest, does he want to? It's city miles versus highway miles. I saw Nate Tice tweet that. I thought that was great. A running back miles, that's city miles. And if Debo wants to put up stats, if he, if he wants to run the ball from the backfield and his wide receiver, he's going to want more money. And I bet you a team's going to pay him for it. So I could see him getting a little bit more to go to like the Jets. You know what's fun about this? We just made nine picks, eight receivers, one tight end. Not a running back in sight. I mean, Not a running back <laughs> on site. I'm going to be transparent. I don't have a running back listed. <laughs> I literally couldn't. I, I literally don't have one. Mine pops up at number 14. I have a running back. Uh, I'm taking him now. Jonathan Taylor, number 10. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, I looked at AJ Brown there. I know he's going to be holding out and there's going to be a big contract coming up. And for some reason, I'm not positive about him staying healthy either. That's Now we're moving into these. Am I sure I'm getting 16 games out of you? Taylor, he's only been in the league two years. I think he could replace Henry as like the guy. I think he'll be the top, he'll be the top fantasy guy next year, right? It's him or Henry. I would assume Taylor will be the number one pick. I think it's he'll be the Taylor. $59 yeah. running back, all that yeah. stuff. Yes. Get him for at least three years. He's going to have a better quarterback situation this year. 
And uh, and I think that's the right spot. I also think there's such a disparity between him and who you would go next at running back because Henry's getting older. I don't know. If we're talking four years, I don't know what Henry's going to look like in year four. So that's my pick. Heifetz, you're up. I'm going to take A.J. Brown. Yep. It's the right value really for him. I'm a little nervous. Debo and A.J. Brown, I dinged. It, it's the health stuff with me. Yeah. But that's really it. Well, the physical receivers, you just worry. They're a little... you. A little like tight ends, except they're not even as big as the tight ends. Craig, you're two on the clock here. I'm thrilled that this guy fell to me. And everybody talks about health. Oh, can he stay healthy? I'm taking DK Metcalf, man. DK Metcalf yep. can stay healthy. He's a freak. He's been good every year. And I think he's tremendously underrated, to be honest. I would I had him listed over <laughs> AJ Brown because AJ Brown can't stay on the field. I was texting our DK, Dan and Kelly, this morning. He's a huge Seahawks fan. And I, I actually kind of got my, I think DK Metcalf's overrated. He thinks I'm insane. But I, I, I'm so, I feel like he's, he's, we the all net, can't like, get rid of that of narrative season. that, like, oh, he can't run routes. That was like four years ago. But now that he's going to go from Russell Wilson to Drew Locke, I think he's going to have a real crash back to earth situation this year. Yeah, but that's in not real what this life. Is. In this exercise, that's fine. Yeah, but yeah. I think DK, I, I, I don't know. I, he's been incredible to this point, but I kind of feel like this season is going to be. I'll tell you this one. Earth. He's about to become way more underrated because he has Drew Locke throwing it to him. <laughs> well, we'll actually, we'll be unable to rate him because he'll never have a pass thrown to him. What yeah, do you have for 13, Craig? It's going to be a sad fantasy episode about DK Metcalf this summer. Yeah, um, 13, I'm going with T. Higgins. That's great. I wanted him. He's so. on year three of a, of a four-year, $8 million deal. He's making no money. And if Jamar Chase wasn't on the Bengals, T. Higgins, we'd probably think he was even better than he is now. All right, so before Heifetz goes, Chase, Jefferson, Cup, Pitts, Tyreek Adams, Diggs, Lamb, Debo, Jonathan Taylor, only running back taken. AJ Brown, <laughs> Metcalf, T. Higgins. Heifetz, you're up. I'm taking Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I had him next to. Mm. Because I think Terry, you talk about quarter, we talk about removing these guys from the team. Terry McLaurin had a thousand yards last year with Taylor Heineke. I cannot imagine how good he'd be if he was in Seattle instead of DK Metcalf. Damn, He's like DK Metcalf. He would be top five guys you'd want to have a drink with to hear them talk about what their life's been like. I mean, obviously, <laughs> everyone on the Packers is number one on that list, but not maybe non-Packers, but McLaurin. Like, man, what's it like? You had like six quarterbacks. None like he's of them been could to really war. complete a pass. He's the new yeah, Allen Robinson. <laughs> he, it's, it's, he's actually probably worse than what Allen Robinson had to deal with, right? <laughs> I I know. That. He was Alex Smith with like 30 rods in his leg and Heineke <laughs> and... Um, he had Haskins for a little bit there. Who else did they have last year? Kyle Allen. Kyle Oof. Allen. There was one other bad one. Um, He's right, another have, one though who's up for a contract renegotiation. Terry McLaurin. He is, but I, I would I would pay him. I have two picks. I can't believe I'm doing this. Craig, you're gonna laugh. <laughs> you're gonna take a Stealer, Jerry Judy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I first, love Jared Judy. And I the was first take this complete guy. wild card pick, but I just I'm all not in. giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm doubling down. He's got a real quarterback this year. He had a bad injury at the beginning of last year, which was a fluke. He recovered. And then he was in a weird quarterback situation. Now he's got Russell Wilson. And I feel like I'm buying early to a guy that I think is going to be a massive asset. You know, so he, take, he turns 23 on Sunday. Yeah, I'm aware. I'm still in on him. Yeah, I'm in. Craig, admit, you're a little jealous. Yeah, I don't know what Jerry Judy's like. It's like when, it's like, remember when Parks and Rec started? I was all excited for Parks and Rec and then it was just horrible season one. And I was like, what, is this good? I, I guess I'll stick along. And season two came, they got rid of that one guy, Brandanowitz, and the show absolutely took off. So maybe that's true luck is the, is the Brandanowitz. 
That would be great. Uh, my other pick, uh, it's either Hunter Renfro or Jalen Waddle. And I'm going to take- Hunter Renfro? Not Hunter Shut Renfro. Up, the guy in Shut the up, Raiders. Oh. What? Nothing. I'm going to Go take, ahead. I'm going to take Waddle. I'm so mad at you, Craig. He was going to take Renfro. I wanted no. Waddle. I almost took Waddle when I could have had McLaurin last pick. <laughs> you like Renfro t- that much? I do. I do. It's funny, though, because the way, Jaylen he's young. so much he's... better than Hunter Renfro. <laughs> I know, but he, he produced big time last year. But Waddle's the right pick. Plus, with the Waddle's Tyreek the right space pick. and the thing for him. And he's another guy. Has he had a real quarterback yet? He's just that guy throwing him bubble screens. What would he be like if he had a real one? All right, hi, Fitz, you're up. I'm getting it. Talk about just removing these guys from the quarterback they have. Give me Devontae Smith. I mean, if he was playing anywhere but the Eagles, I kind of think he would be a sensation right now. And Jalen Hurts, I I like Jalen Hurts, but I I think it's very easy to forget how incredible Devontae Smith is and the Eagles just run this very weird offense. But if we're in this exercise, five million a year for Devontae Smith, that's easy money. I think I I don't know what to make of his rookie season. I agree. I think there's more established guys who are affordable other than Devontae Smith, who hasn't really... I mean, like you said, we just have no idea. I guess same with Jerry Judy, but I, I don't know. But I think that's where this is kind of the pivot point in this exercise. I mean, there's certain guys... I mean, I don't want to blow the lid off this, but like, I don't think anyone's taking DeAndre Hopkins. And But we're at the point where there's about four years in the future. I would rather have Devontae Smith making $5 million a year for the next three than DeAndre. DeAndre's making like 25 Yeah. All right. Let's do, uh, let's do three more picks. Who do you have, Craig? I'm taking 25-year-old DJ Moore. That's wow. Right. DJ okay. Moore is 25 years old. He has three straight 1,000-yard seasons with Sam Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater on a three-year $60 million deal. One of the most underrated wide receivers in the That's game. a good one. I should have taken instead of Devontae. Good value. Nice, decent contract. You got one more, Craig. <sighs> I, I debated... Renfro? <laughs> I did not debate There's Renfro. so many other guys <laughs> I'm, than Renfro. I'm taking Renfro. I'm just telling you, but if you leave him, I'm taking him. Uh, I think I'm going to take Chris Godwin. I was literally going to say, Chris Godwin doesn't get drafted, but Hunter Renfro does. <laughs> Chris Godwin just had a major injury. <laughs> and he's expensive. He's yeah, playing on he the franchise return tag. Well, he might be as slow as Hunter Renfro. Yeah, he was not, a, he was not <laughs> on my list. Really? He's 26. Well, I don't like the injury and I don't like the price. Just the KCL injuries don't matter anymore. I can't wait for Heifetz to get attacked for his Renfro slander. Who do you have? I, I, I come at me. That's fine. I think Hunter Renfro can handle it. There's uh, no Renfro be, hive out there. I don't. You know think. what? No, it's like everyone inv- acts like he invented like a triple move receiver. Like, oh, Hunter Renfro with that special move he invented. What a triple a double moves or thing? He invented triple moves. I just I'm tired of it. You know I what Heifetz says? Like 103 catches for 1,038 yards and nine touchdowns last year. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you take I Elijah, take Elijah Moore. Moore because okay. again, I, well, I'm just it's the same as Jerry Judy. It's the same as Devontae Smith to me. Like I think these guys are unbelievable. And in this exercise where we're removing them from the quarterbacks they have, Elijah Moore was kept what Zach Wilson last year, Josh Johnson for a little bit. I, I, who was the one quarterback who came in? We were Mike White. Yeah, and yet Elijah Moore still was really good. I think if we're talking about again the next four years, yeah. Elijah Moore is going to be as good as all these you know. A.J. Brown, Debo guys, he's going to be about that good in a couple of years, but we're going to get right. for way less. Let's circle back. We'll do a couple because I want to take two guys. I'm going to take Renfro at 20, 21, sorry. And then I'm going to take Najee Harris at, at 22. 
Yeah, I like Najee. That, that's that's good. He's the other r- running back I would want for the next four years from a talent durability. I mean, the amount of uh, hits and reps he had was insane. And yeah, just he, him getting crushed behind the line. And I just, the moment he's in a better situation, I think he blossoms. So I he think he's the most likable guy who's coming to the NFL in a long time. He is yeah. infectious. Who do you have, Heifetz? I'm going to take DeAndre Hopkins at this point. <laughs> How much is he making? What I thought it was it's a pro- lot. pretty I prohibitive. It's a lot. But at this point, when actual running backs are coming off the board, I, I think, so he's making, the real money, I think, is like $23 million a year. It's yep. a lot. But at this point, he's worth it. Craig, last pick. I want. Can I? Can I give the one I would actually do, and then the one I want to do in my heart? The one I actually want to do is Darren Waller, twenty nine. Mm. Still, I mean, uh, there's no good tight ends these days. So, like, I, I would be perfectly happy grabbing Darren Waller for the next four years. The guy I'm not giving up on, my Jerry Judy for you, uh, for you, Bill, is uh, it's Chase Claypool, man. <laughs> what did Heifetz? What did Craig call him? Terrell Owens two point or what? What he was, had the same the measurables as Calvin things? Johnson. Calvin, Calvin Johnson. Johnson. He's the only guy to have the same numbers as Calvin at the combine. Listen, if you get rid of Ben's noodle arm, Chase Claypool's a top 15 wide receiver in the league. I'm not against that. I didn't like some of the clubhouse guy with them. All right, guy you wanted to take, but you were afraid you'd be made fun of the most. Well, Amon Ross St. Brown. So Craig has Chase Claypool. Oh, you have St. Brown? <laughs> I wanted to, and I was worried people would mock me. But yeah, Amon Ross for making a million dollars a year. I was checking out Javante Williams for a while. Ooh, you like running backs. Oh, I like Javante Williams. I think yeah, I do too. I can't wait to see him next year with that uh with that Broncos team. I All half right. expected you to take Saquon. No, because it seems like he's a little too available. I haven't given up on him. I haven't sold. I haven't sold his stock. All right. Recap. Chase, Jefferson, Cup, Pitts. That was our top four. Tyreek Adams, Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, Debo, Jonathan Taylor, AJ Brown, Metcalf, T. Higgins, McLaurin, Judy, Waddle, Devontae Smith, DJ Moore, Godwin, Elijah Moore, Renfro, Harris, Hopkins, Waller. Most upset right now, George Kittle. Mike Evans, too. Well, he said Mike Evans is expensive, right? Yes. Yeah. Is he? George Kittle's like, hey, man, I got hurt last year. And when I came back, I was kind of kick-ass. And please don't forget about me. I'm just so afraid of him that he's going to tear a hamstring every time he catches the ball. I've, I feel the same way about Mike Evans. I can't deal with Mike Evans, like just the lower body stuff for the next four years. Yeah, I agree. All right. Good to see you guys. What do you have planned for the uh, Ringer Draft Show? Uh, Wednesday through Saturday. Show every single day. Great. Well, think of me when the Pats trade down. Thanks for coming on. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. All right. Matt Bellany is here. He writes for Puck, and he also has a podcast for us called The Town, which is a really good Hollywood kind of what's going on two, three times a week. And we've had a lot of stuff going on and we're going to double dip with some of the stuff you've already talked about. But one of the things you didn't talk about was CNN Plus. What did it last a month? It broke Quibi's record? Less than a month. Oh, it shattered Quibi's record. Quibi lasted six months almost. This is less than a month. This is like two and a half Scaramucci's, like almost three Scaramucci's. (laughs) We're talking like epic, (laughs) epic fail. $300 million just burned. So was this Jason Kylar? He's on his way out, and he just is 
basically like, I'm, I'm leaving anyway. This is just going to happen. I'm seeing this through. I don't want this blood on my hands. He leaves, they launch it. And then the new people come in and they're like, we're getting rid of this. This is dumb. Yeah. And it was very interesting because, you know, the, they wanted to get rid of it. So then you saw the slow trickle of negative news about it that mm. most people believe the actual owner of the service was putting out there in order to churn the water. So everybody knew that this was a failure. They did not want it. Warner Media, Warner Brothers Discovery, they want one streaming service. They want HBO Max. They want everyone in the world to have HBO Max. Having CNN Plus only confused people. It didn't actually have the CNN content on it. Like you couldn't go there to watch the news of what was happening now. They had a bunch of random shows from, you know, people like Scott Galloway and Jake Tapper's book club and, you know, things that like were supposed to appeal to a CNN super fan. But who is a CNN super fan out there that wants this? Nobody actually wanted this service. Well, they're all podcasts. I mean, it, isn't the real problem with this? It's like you, you have these quote unquote talk shows that you want people to go out of their way to to watch, but people don't watch talk shows like that really at all anymore, except for the old standards, which you talked to Bill Carter about today. I I just, what we haven't seen work with streaming, and this goes to ESPN Plus, this goes to Peacock, pick a streamer. It's just t- Netflix tried three different talk shows. Hulu's had two. People don't go to streamers for talk shows. And in general, like I think podcasts have completely murdered new talk shows. I think it is so hard to launch a talk show when they're just shows galore. And there's also all these different ways to get like focused analysis, whether it's news, sports, culture, whatever, whatever, stocks, whatever you're looking for, it's kind of out there anyway, with really smart conversations. So then why would I want to watch that on my television? Yeah, it's it's mostly just the fracturing of the entire media ecosystem. There is no such thing as a big tent audience aggregator other than sports you know there, there really isn't so you know you look at these you're right if you want an in-depth smart celebrity interview you're sure you're certainly not tuning into jimmy fallon i mean that is just a plug fest you know yep. they basically just turn it over to the celebrity to tell you about the product they're selling and if you tune into some of these more in-depth podcasts whether it's your show or Marin or Dax Shepard or whatever, you're going to get something that is a little more substantive. And then you look at the comedy of, you know, these these um, these late night shows and like it's all on YouTube the next morning. Right. And the YouTube has become the differentiator, which is the thing like that's what Kimmel cares about. And Kimmel, you know, Bill Carter mentioned on your podcast today Mm -hmm. about how one of the things if you can establish the late night show and you can establish the brand, especially on network, the thing's a money machine. Because you really don't have to pay the host. You got like a maybe a hundred person staff. The theater's in place. So you've already built that. You've paid for it. It's almost like having your own basketball stadium. And then it just goes and goes. And you can sell all these different things. The person becomes the face of your network. When it gets to streaming, how is somebody becoming the face of the network? I, I think John Stewart probably was the safest bet to potentially do that. But then the show he picked, it was only at eight times. It was issue focused. It was very luxury. Um and it wasn't like he was going to become the face of Apple TV. They have new stuff every week. So you can and get lost took, too. He also took a month off after two shows. Like, right. how do you do that? You're trying to launch something, get people into the habit. Like, oh, we'll be back in a few months. <laughs> right. I mean, you either have to go monthly or weekly, but you can't do the, you'll get a show when I'm done with a show. I don't know if that strategy works. Yeah. People have the habits. The Stewart thing was really interesting because... 
you know, when he left, he was at, he was in a lot of the ways at the top. And what he returned to was a totally fragmented world where, you know, a bunch of different people doing a lot of the stuff that worked for him seven, eight years ago. It's way more polarized. I think the most interesting one out of all the shows, and this maybe goes back to the CNN plus thing and like, um, would a show, would, would the liberal version of this even work? But the Gutfield show, which I don't, Gutfield or Gutfeld? I think it's Gutfeld. Gutfeld. Have you ever watched this show? Uh, I actually have. I have a Fox <laughs> News loving father. So when I'm visiting, he absolutely loves it. I mean, this guy is like his Oprah. He will it's, do, he will tune in whatever. And I watch it and I'm just like. It's indescribable. I, I, I don't, I just don't get it. It's just a series of buzzwords. Like all yeah. they talk about is like, oh, Obama, Benghazi, Hillary. You know, it's like all of the buzzwords that people on Fox News love, but in a kind of quasi comedy format. Right. Well, he comes out and he just, he does like this kind of Bill Maher like monologue. And there's a couple of people chuckling in the background. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of incredible, but I guess. I guess people would feel the same way watching Colbert, right? Colbert is like the super liberal version of that now. And that's that's part of the problem here is that it is so hard to just kind of appeal to everybody. So that that's splintered. You're preaching to, to the you're preaching to the choir, essentially, on these shows. And I think people know from their social media feeds now that are completely algorithms that serve you what you already know and like. They're used to seeing things that confirm their worldview. So if you're watching a late night show, you don't want to hear jokes that are not in your political realm. You don't want to hear people making fun of, you know, uh, Joe Biden if you like Joe Biden. So you tune into Colbert and the same with with Fox News. Yeah, it's Mars show is is like that, too. And Mar, I think, has really tried to push the envelope on his show. And it's almost like he wants to cause controversy and he wants people to come at him and with some of the choices he's made. But then he did this HBO comedy special, which did I watched it last night. I watched it last night. Yeah. actually. And the audience vibe, you mentioned how the audiences, you know, for these shows are very agreeable with whoever the audience for his standup show, cause it was in Florida and the vibe was definitely a little different. It wasn't like people just clapping at every joke he made. It was a little confrontational. He almost seemed I don't want to say he was thrown off, but it was just a little different of a vibe than I think he was used to. Well, and he started with 10 minutes of Trump jokes, uh, which were funny and got the applause. But then he went into like 20 minutes of anti-Democrat, anti-woke, anti all of that stuff. And then the audience was like kind of with him, but also <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not really like on board with, you know, making fun of. of I mean, he had some jokes that, I, I, you know, I often wonder why comedy is not as prolific these days, especially in movies, as it once was 10, 15 years ago. And I think there are a lot of things that you just can't do in comedy, but there are certain people that seem to get away with it. And Bill Maher can do 20 minutes of anti-trans jokes or anti-woke you know, woke jokes or Democrat jokes and seems to get away with it in a way that kind of Chappelle also does, although he had his controversy at Netflix. Right, he did. Um, but for the most part, these other late night hosts would never go into any of these areas. Yeah, some of the some of the people who are trying to line cross, it seems like they're banking on like anyone who's going to be offended by this. They already don't like me, so why right. not? Yeah. So I don't know. It's as we head into the kind of the middle of the two thousand twenties here next year. It it just I think the whole talk comedy thing is in such a strange place, and then on podcasts it's probably in the best place it's ever been. You know, I think that's 
where a lot of the smartest conversations were because ultimately the conversation just has to be good and that's it. You don't have to worry about how does the show look? How does the set look? Bringing guests into the studio and, and in a lot of ways was pandemic proof, mm-hmm. you know, and you saw these talk shows really had to struggle for how to account for we can't have these people come in. Now they're back and, you know, they're humming along. But And it's, it's sort of publicist proof also. You know, so many of these shows are dictated by what the star wants out of them. You know, if you're yep. Kimmel and you're competing with Fallon and, uh, and Colbert for these A-list guests, you kind of have to do what they say and you have to talk about the things they want to talk about. But like your show, a celebrity doesn't want to have a real conversation. Just don't have them on. Like or, uh, yeah, well, I just wouldn't have them on at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, turned out audience, almost everybody, as Allison could attest. Yeah, uh, your audience cares just as much about Cousin Sal as they do about Ben Affleck. Right. Well, I think part of the problem, though, is that if you're, so, like, if, like if, we, if you and I ran a PR firm and we had a bunch of celebrity clients, in some cases, you're better off with the celebrity just reaching out to their fans on social media and kind of staying public and staying relevant that way and just very carefully picking like one magazine feature that you know is going to be glossy or one TV show where it's like, oh, he's been on Kimmel before. They like each other. I know that'll be a good 12 minutes or, oh, he can sing in a car or she can sing in a car with Corden. And I know that'll be good and we'll get we'll get them in and out. But I, I think in general, like there's so much more to lose than there is to gain from that kind of PR anymore. You know? I think that's I think that's smart. And I think our, our buddy Lewis Kay, who we both know um, and who deals with celebrities like this, I think that is a lot of the calculus that goes into their thinking these days is like, what are we actually going to get out of this? And why put someone in a position that there could be a downside if you're not necessarily getting the upside? And I think a lot of people know going viral for the right reasons can be very beneficial. Right. You know, so you do things like carpool karaoke or, you know, some kind of a bit, but, you know, just go or, or a shit. cameo on billions. So you're on billions for, you know, 10 minutes like right. something like that. Or you made or a, a succession cameo or whatever. Totally. Or a venue that you know that you're going to look good in. Not necessarily like someone's just going to kiss your ass, but a venue where you look cool. Like, you know, maybe if you like I saw Chelsea Handler did the LeBron talk show, the shop. Yeah. And I was like, First of all, I was like, that's a get for her, Chelsea Handler, to be invited into that room where they, yeah. they, you know, they don't have that many white people. They don't have that many, you know, people in her age demo. It's mostly young, diverse people. And if you can sit in a room with LeBron and Maverick and Bad Bunny and Serena they had on, like, and be considered cool like that, I'm like, that is a coup for Chelsea Handler and her publicist. But that's a rarity. Like, that, you don't, you don't think that most of all uh, when you watch these shows. Yeah, like Harry Styles. Does that guy need to do anything? <laughs> he's he's like hotter than the sun right now. You know, right. he does the Coachella thing. It's did, did he need to submit that by going on Colbert show? Like, no, no. And no, I don't. Never I just don't think. I don't think celebrities need the infrastructure the same way. What you just said about Chelsea Handler. My wife loves the new Kardashian show mm-hmm. on Hulu, and the second show yesterday. I I say it like I'm passing it off like. I, I secretly love it. No, it's really my wife and it was on and I was happened to be there preparing for stuff, watching it, trying to figure out. Khloe Kardashian was complaining about um, how mean social media is and how she doesn't. Mm. And it's like, wait a second, isn't that the whole reason you guys are famous because of social media? It's not like you're acting and singing. Um, 
But anyway, so there was a lot about that. But then Kim was planning her Saturday Night Live monologue and gets Amy Schumer to come in. And she is basically playing off Amy Schumer for jokes. And I'm thinking like, this is brilliant by Amy Schumer. She just gets to pop on this thing for seven sure. minutes as like the joke Yoda for Kim Kardashian. Like, of course she's going to do that. That that in 2022 makes so much more sense than, I don't know, going on whatever. I I think hosting Saturday Night Live is another one like that. Do you think that, do you think they're friends or do you think that was a booking that they said, okay, we need a smart comedian female to help Kim, who can we get? Or do you think they're actually friends? It's They made it seem like they were friends, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Friends. My favorite thing about the new Kardashian show is people referring it to the elevated version of the Kardashians. Like, right. oh, this is on Hulu. It's the elevated version of the E! show. I'm like, really? Okay, it's pretty much the same thing. I think hosting SNL is another one that's pretty foolproof from a celebrity standpoint. Unless they don't you're gonna so. actually I, well, listen, unless you're bad, unless you're bad, exactly, or you're terrified. I I know many many uh, personal publicists who have told me that their clients are terrified of hosting SNL. Because keep in mind, not everybody is actually talented, especially if you're a movie star and you're used to, you know, being able to do fifty takes and you've never actually done live theater or something like that. That show actually puts you out there in a live setting, and you can absolutely flop. Yeah, but that's the job of the team to know <laughs> that their person probably shouldn't be hosting a show like that. Like when the lady from West Side Story won the Oscar, when she was on, she was like a home run. Yeah. Uh, the, she's a theater actress. Yeah. Just like so, last week, Lizzo was like unbelievable. Yeah, I haven't she, watched she, that yet. She was really good. Like she easily could have been a cast member. I was surprised. And then you, um, and then you tweeted the clip from uh, Steven Seagal and his infamous hosting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they had a lot less, uh, a lot less of an infrastructure to prevent uh, bad hosting decisions in the eighties and nineties. Oh, because they knew it would just go away and people would forget about it two days later. But the internet does not forget. That's the thing. I the eighties and nineties, you could fuck up and it was okay, and you can't anymore. So I'm sure that's another thing as people are weighing these different moments that they could grab. Like, all right, if this doesn't work out. Could this be on my resume forever? And they would also on SNL, they would do those infamous 10 to one sketches that was some, yeah. you know, a gift to a writer or, or something that should not be on television, but they would just do it because who cared? And now they do less of that because they know people are mostly watching differently and they, you know, they're going to see it. <laughs> I heard you and Carter talk about SNL. I, I completely agree on that. The cast is too big. I was, oh. I've said this forever, but I think it should be a basketball team. You want like nine cast members. Totally. And you can have 12, but you really want nine playing. And it doesn't behoove them. I mean, the cast doesn't like it. I've, I've heard no. many grumblings from the SNL cast where they want screen time and they're not getting it. It's like you yep. get this big coup, you get this big break of a lifetime to be on SNL. And then they use you like three or four times in, you know, in a season. Like that's not great. Yeah. And they haven't, I don't remember the last time that Kate McKinnon was the last female star that really became, I think, a star. We'll see if it translates to TV and movies. It is not so far. But they haven't broken a male star in a while. I mean, arguably Pete Davidson, he had a hit movie or quasi-hit movie. Um, yeah, you're Certainly right. like a tabloid star. That's fair. But That's fair. I, I feel don't... like he's been a star for a while, though. That's but yeah, you're thing. right. No, Lauren, Lauren stuck with him to the bitter end because he was like, this guy's a star. I'm never giving up this guy. Yeah, and, uh, there was that whole thing. He's, you know, 
Pete Davidson has the personal backstory that I think Lauren really attached to. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, all, you look up on SNL and all of a sudden these people have been on the show for five years and you don't even really know them at all. And it used to be that if you were on SNL for five to seven years, it was time. You were done. Right. And, you know, if they didn't nudge you out the door, you had to nudge yourself because you had to figure out what your career was actually going to be. Now you've got Keenan and A.D. Bryant and these people who literally have other shows that they are the star of. Yeah. That they are still on SNL. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. You talked about Netflix on you did an emergency pod this week. The Netflix thing cratered. We talked about some of the reasons. I think. So TikTok, I think, is the number one reason. See, I don't agree with you. You had that. that in there. Because I, I don't I, think they're getting young people in the same way. I don't think people are watching TV in the same way like they did, especially during, you know, the 2018-19 range. I mean, to the extent that Netflix competes with TikTok for leisure time, yes. But I just don't think that people think about those services in the same way. TikTok is a diversion for most kids where they if they have a free moment or they're sitting, you know, at the bus stop or wherever, they're watching TikTok. But I think that there is still a market for that premium video experience. And you don't think about TikTok as being competitive with that. Like, do people not subscribe to Netflix because they're like, you know what? I would just rather watch TikTok. I don't think they have that calculus. It's not, I'm not talking about the subscriber thing as much as how people are spending their time, especially younger people. Because I do think in the 2010s, <clears throat> I think younger people were just the teens, basically people from like, I would say 10 to 19 were just going to Netflix to kill time and they would right. just find something and dive into things. I think there's just more choices. And you guys mentioned how all these different streamers, that's another thing. There's so much more competition now. A lot of people trying to repeat their model. And I think the binge thing, I think <clears throat> is really starting to work against them. And I just know from how we do stuff at The Ringer, I look at a show like Winning Time, that I think if they had just dropped all the episodes at once, I think that show would have bombed. Mm -hmm. I think people would have watched too. I think they would have given up on it. Um, if they kept going, whatever. It wasn't one of those things that we didn't know where a lot of the stuff was going. But now because it's once a week, there's been all these different dialogues. This week, Jerry West came out against right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And, and, and we had this whole other life of attention for the show. And the show, I think, I think the show got better episodes three through six. I didn't think episode seven was strong, but anecdotally, well, I talked to said, a lot of people about they, it. They said, fuck Boston over and well, over. That's probably I, I, why. <laughs> <laughs> the Boston stuff, we did a prestige pod about it. Yeah, I, I got to listen to that. I didn't care about the Boston stuff as much as just factually. The show is like a, it's, it, it just tells a lot of white lies. Mm -hmm. There's nothing super major, but it's a lot of like white lies. But anyway, over the course of seven weeks, there was an ebb and flow to it. And I just don't think you get it from the Netflix shows anymore. I think no. they've they've hit lightning in a bottle a couple of times with Squid Game, Bridgerton. But um, but for the most part, I think it's hurt shows like Ozark. I think it hurts, you know, any sort of prestige type of show that they have. The fact that it's just dumped on people. I think it's hard to hard for people to uh, juggle. Well, the numbers on Ozark are very strong, but I do think I agree with you that it has hurt other shows. And especially when you're talking about the value proposition of keeping someone subscribed to a service, you know, HBO gets so much value out of that incremental week by week. 
oh, I got to watch this. I got to catch up. I got to be able to listen or have a conversation with my friends about these shows. And with Netflix, it's like they got to launch a new show every week to do that because people just either you're into it, you get into it and you binge it and then you move on or you just miss it completely and it vanishes into the ether morass of content and you just aren't even on board at all with something like Winnie Time. And they have seen that the ratings keep going up week after week. Yeah. Because there is this conversation around the show. Now it's not a well a White Lotus was White Lotus was the best example of that. White Lotus totally. legitimately built over four weeks. To, and it got better every yeah. week. And it was one of those things where like people started talking about it. You're like, are you watching the show? And because of streaming, you can catch up. So you can all of a sudden get into the conversation three weeks in by spending three hours watching the show. And I think yeah. that is a hugely underrated. I like the Hulu model where they dump the three like, episodes. I agree. Episodes. Apple does it too. I think yeah. it's smart. I think it's totally smart because I want to be able to watch a couple episodes like when I quote want to, but you, I often will not get to three before the next one drops. So it's almost like you can watch a, on a Tuesday and on a Friday night, but then you'll have a refresh on Monday with a new show. So you don't quite ever catch up. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing that I think was a real factor and it's a total fluke and it's not Netflix's fault, but you have the pandemic and then in 2021, you have all these streamers being like, all right, here are movies that are tied to the studios and you have a place like HBO Max just dropping major movies every week and you have Paramount doing the same thing. And it it was almost like if Netflix, they're kicking everyone's ass for a couple of years there and then everybody tries to catch up. Netflix is like the, I don't know, the 2017 Warriors just crushing it. And then it was like two other, three other NBA teams were like, all right, we're getting all the other all-stars and we're going to compete with you. And they did. And so you have that combined with all the other stuff that was going on, combined with the password sharing, which you talked about a little on your pod. I've never understood why they didn't care about that. I don't think anybody under the age of 25 is paying Mm -hmm. for anything. No, producer Craig admitted it on my show. Yeah. That he he doesn't pay for anything. Why would he? Why just go? That's why you have parents. I know. I, I wouldn't want my kids to pay for streaming stuff. Just come on my account. I know. It, it, it reminds me a lot of the decisions that were made in the mid 90s, early 2000s with newspapers and media publishers where they all just random. They just decided that, oh, yeah, our content will be free on the Internet. And right. For years, pe- people just expected it all to be free, especially young people. So that when they finally got their act together, they're like, wait a second, our print business is gone and our advertising business isn't that great. What are what is our business here? And I think that that's the same with Netflix. They've always had this as this thing they could go to if they ever needed to, which was all the free password sharing. And finally, they need to. I thought Rich Greenfield on your show, he made a good point about Netflix just adding at adding ads and sponsors and all this stuff. That's not something that happens in a week. You have to hire a staff. You have to figure out how to sell. You have to know what your rates are. You have to create the tier. You have to figure out how to apply that to the content you've already done. I don't think, I I actually agree with the theory that it seems like they come came up with that at the 11th hour because they wanted something to say publicly to everybody. That That is not something you just decide to do. Like even uh, I look at Spotify, like Spotify has been, for the last four years, putting together like a whole podcast sales site that I, I think is really good now. 
it takes a while. You got to figure it out. You got to learn the market. You got to talk to all these different people and you develop connections and relationships. And you don't do that like, you know, in June, we'll have ads. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I'm writing about that a little bit for my newsletter for Puck. And that is the question here is like, when, like it seems so haphazard. And these are very sophisticated advertising businesses that they're competing with. And, you know, if you're Disney or NBC Universal with their streaming services, they've had advertising for 50 years now on their linear television networks, very sophisticated operation that they have then brought to the streaming world. And yeah. Netflix not only doesn't have that, they have been so anti-advertising for so long that it's almost like they're holding their nose and jumping into the cold water. Yeah. I don't know how it plays out. I don't totally agree with the theory that everything is now circling back to where it was. I don't either. I think that streaming is here to stay. This is television now. No question. And and sports but people, will eventually... People are predicting like we'll have bundles the same way you used to. It's just instead of paying for cable or direct TV, you'll have streaming bundles. I don't think it will be like that. Personally. Oh, really? I think there will be bundles. I think they'll be they'll look differently. There certainly will never be a time when there will be 500 channels again. I mean, that will all go away. You know, all the skimming the cable channels to find an 80s But what movie, would the bundles be, though? It would be, you know, uh, get HBO Max and Peacock and Paramount Plus and Netflix for 50 bucks. I th I see, I don't think Netflix, it's not, and they're not incentivized to help out the other ones like that. They're not. I would but say, maybe I think they mergers, aren't mergers more likely? Maybe, maybe. But see, here's the thing. There are platforms like Apple and Amazon that are trying to be the gateway through which you come into streaming. Because if you look on Apple and on Amazon, yeah. you can go to other channels there. And by other channels, I mean other streaming services. So they're trying to establish themselves as being the bigger platform players there. And if they all of a sudden went to these struggling streamers that are having trouble paying for all this content and say, you know what? The Amazon bundle is going to be 50 bucks and we'll pay you, you know, 90% of what you're currently getting for your subscribers, but you become part of this bundle. Maybe that becomes appealing. I would say Apple would be the more likely one because you know they love bundling a bunch of people together and claiming that it'll be great for them. Of course. Like Apple News. Hey, it'll be great. Join our Apple News bundle. You'll make so much money. Right. And then they don't. It's like, but will yes. I? Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, they maybe they'll be willing to make a deal because it's worth it to Apple to get you in their ecosystem because that's what their bigger play is. Their bigger play is the hardware that goes around this. So if Apple had a TV, for instance, the hardware TV that they sold, or they're trying to get you to stay in your, their phone universe. And they had an Apple bundle of all these streaming services for one price. Maybe they take a loss on it. Maybe they pay everybody more to get their services on their product. And then they make up the money through the hardware. Like there are many ways for these companies to make money. And one of the biggest gripes in Hollywood for the past few years is that Apple and Amazon don't actually have to make money on their streaming service. They 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 are making so much money elsewhere that this yeah. is really a branding exercise. And it's a, like a toy. A value it's like having a yeah. boat. Totally. Like, oh, wait, really? We're going to win Best Picture for Coda? That's a nice little thing for our entryway and, you know, at our headquarters. Like, it's not that they're not thinking about it the same way Netflix has to, because Netflix, that's all they do is the streaming service. Are we sure Netflix isn't in a similar spot to AOL in the early 2000s? I don't think it's comparable because 
the Netflix actually has a product here in that they have a you know 220 million subscriber. So did AOL. AOL had AOL was in the lead with emails and the whole thing, and they end up doing the merger with Time Warner because they were the hot thing. Netflix did not do a merger, but it was it was inconceivable in 0102 that AOL was going to be, um, you know, I, I hear you on that, and I think that the differentiator here would be the content because Netflix does have a library of content in the library, now, and it yep. has an infrastructure to make more. I would if the stock keeps dropping, I think they become a target for someone to come in and buy. Mm. Um, and you know, it's so funny because they were the one who was supposedly looking at everybody. I mean, the big which mistake they should have. They should you have talked about on the pod. The big mistake mm. was just not grabbing a studio when their stock was like at five, six hundred dollars. Oh my god! If they were worth three hundred billion dollars, they could have gotten MGM for eight point five billion. Yeah, not that much. And they were right. just very. Could they, they have gotten and, Paramount? Was Paramount like a possibility? The, the problem with Paramount is that it comes with all the other stuff like the MTV networks uh, and who wants to buy linear television networks at this point. And I, and I think <laughs> you get that, Rob Durdick, you get 24 hours. Of you Rob. get, well, you get the challenge, and the challenge, yeah, <laughs> you get the, the challenge, challenge, <laughs> challenge all-stars. I know. Speaking of, by the way, Wes is joining challenge all-stars. Is that, I know, that it's his, time. I think his, it's time. You think it's time. You think his challenge yeah. career is over? At the Paramount is doing a real world New Orleans reunion. I saw that. that. I saw it. I'm like, I'm gonna end up watching this, and I'm gonna hate myself. I know it, but I'm I'm trying to stay away. It's did like you seeing that the... Haggadah's in the fridge. Where like, I'm not gonna eat that. I'm just not. Then did you watch it. the L.A. reunion? I did not. I couldn't do it. It was. It got dark. It yeah, was, I heard. It was, I heard it, was it really got dark. dark. <laughs> it sounds. It sounds. <laughs> it was like four episodes of relitigating that incident in the bedroom yeah. where Tammy got dragged across the floor for like literally. They talked about it for like two hours on the show. Yeah, I don't, that's the kind of, I don't even want to go to my own reunions, much less <laughs> <laughs> see the LA real world reunion. I mean, uh, you really just want to see what everyone looks like, right? Yeah, basically. And once I see that, I'm good. Right. Um, yeah. All right. So we've had, before we go, we've had a rocky 2022. You've covered a lot of it on the, uh, on the town, your pod. Mm -hmm. What's, give me one prediction for the spring one story that's going to blossom because we've already, we would have probably would have predicted and you had it in your, uh, in your newsletter on Sunday, you were like, Hey, this Netflix thing, like buckle up. This could be really bad. Um, we CNN plus was another one. I think people saw coming. What's the next thing that we kind of see coming, but hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, I made this prediction on another podcast, but not on my own. But I want to make it here because this is a much larger platform. And I think you will like this prediction. Okay. Top Gun Maverick will be Tom Cruise's biggest opening weekend of his entire career. Wow. Yeah. Cruise. So guess what his biggest opening weekend is? Not adjusted for inflation. If you go back to the 80s, I mean, I'm sure if we adjusted, but not adjusted for inflation, what do you think his biggest opening weekend? It's got to be like one of the Mission Impossibles, right? It's not. What it's is not it? not actually. War of the Worlds. War oh. of the Worlds, like 68 million. That makes sense. And which was him, Spielberg, big property. But this is going to blow it away. Now I'm talking about the three day because it's opening Memorial Weekend. So it'll actually be a four day total. But even the three day, I think, will be bigger than that. What's crazy is this was supposed to come out before the Bubble Lakers won the NBA title, right? 
I mean, this was this was shot, I believe, in either 2019. Yeah, yeah, 2019. I mean, Miles Teller has been sitting around with that mustache for like three and a half years right. waiting for this movie to come out so we can finally get rid of it. I feel the worst for my guy, Glenn Powell, who I, I thought was going to become an absolute potential A-lister partially from this movie, right? And now it, it just delays everything. I, I'm still buying Glenn Powell stock, but... He uh he's good and I think he's apparently like the the star. Miles Teller is not like the yeah. breakout from this. Well, Miles so, Teller I, has the offer which he's great in. Oh, you've seen it. I saw the first 3 episodes. And yeah. it's good? Is it worthwhile? I thought it was good, yeah. I That's think it, it's probably going to be too long like everything. Yeah. Like it should have been 7 episodes, it's 10. Right. Right. Has that kind of feel to it like they're definitely yeah. meandering a little bit, but I thought the the actors and the performances, the guy who plays Bob Evans is great guy who plays Pacino is great. Mouse Tower is really good. So they did a good job. The Coppola guy's good. That was it's supposed good. to be You'll like it. That was supposed to be Army Hammer, the Miles Teller character. Oh man. And then he had yeah. his meltdown and they replaced him. Yeah. Army's it's even tough to watch him in the social network, even though it already got filmed. All right. Check out the town with Matt Bellany. Don't forget to uh subscribe or at least check out to uh Puck because it's been uh incredibly influential, I think, for people who love all this stuff. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Kyle Creighton, Steve Cerruti, and Dylan Berkey for our behind-the-scenes production and more. Thanks to Waz. Thanks to Danny and Craig. Thanks to Matt Bellany. I will see you on the Prestige TV feed this weekend. You might see me on the Ringer Gambling feed on Friday. And we'll see you on Sunday with Priscilla. Another two-parter coming. Can't wait. Great basketball this weekend. Go Celtics! <laughs> 